0: It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Robin Hilton. If you haven't already seen it, the film Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery is out on Netflix now. I saw it over the holidays and it's one of the best films I've watched in the past year. It's suspenseful, it's full of lots of surprises and the cast is incredible. But one of the things that I love most about it is the score. It's by composer Nathan Johnson and this is a bit of the film's main theme. The score is grand and soaring and really beautiful at times, and it's got to navigate a lot of emotions. The film is intense and dramatic, but it's also really funny. It's got a lot of thrills, but also sadness and loss, and often all of these things collide at the same time. I recently sat down with Nathan Johnson to talk about how his score helps reveal these many layers of the film. He says that when they started out, he and director Ryan Johnson knew that they wanted a very classic vintage sound.
1: I think the first thing we were talking about was really leaning into the fun, sort of exotic, lush, almost European landscape of the movies that we loved growing up. You know, we were referencing Nino Rota's score for Death on the Nile. And, you know, the first Knives Out was very much a a contained manor house mystery and... I think it was really important for Ryan that we plant some very obvious flags in the ground so that the audience realized, okay, this is going to be a not only completely different cast, but a completely different story. You know, the movie is structured totally differently. And, and so for the music, we just really wanted to almost kind of blow it open. And, you know, obviously it still has the precision that I think has kind of come to define these movies and I hope will define them going forward. But it was it was kind of about getting in a room with a giant orchestra and and really leaning into that fun, you know, romantic, very lyrical style of scoring that some of the old Italian masters that we grew up loving would would employ.
0: Yeah, there's such a, a sweep and a majesty to it that I think runs throughout it all.
1: Yeah. It's um, you know, the thing that I've come to realize is obviously, I mean, these are fun movies and they're mysteries, but it's very much about tapping into the protagonist who is not the detective. That's something that you kind of think, oh yeah, Daniel Craig is the lead character, but each of these is going to have a different protagonist that we're seeing through their eyes, hopefully. And that is another one of the big important things that I think that's on my plate in terms of my job is figuring out how do we make sure We're connecting with Janelle Monáe's character.
0: Andy is the character that she plays. When I listen to this main theme from Glass Onion, I can tell you are trying to thread so many different needles all at the same time. Tell me how you (laughs) navigated that, you know, because so many... Filmmakers will tell their composers, you know, well, it's got to be really fast, but slow, you know, and it's yeah. <laughs> got to be really funny, but, you know, horrifying and whimsical, but crushingly sad. And, you know, how you get to all those different things in this film, in this one piece.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I think the main theme actually took me the longest to crack. You know, and I with Ryan's movies, I bring like a small writing rig with me and I'm out on set. So I was in Greece working just kind of... At that point, it's just starting with almost like theme explorations. And the main theme was the one that I was trying to crack. And it, it kind of took me a while because I think exactly because of what you're saying, it, it sort of needs to hint at all the different things that are to come. And I, I guess I, I thought about it as, uh, an overture a little bit in a way you know it are we obviously weave in blanc's motif there we we weave in the disruptor's motif and it's it kind of wants to do that thing where it invites us all on a fun journey with this very melodic statement but also very much sets the stage for for the mystery that's going to come
0: You mentioned Janelle Monae and her character, Andy. I want to play a bit of her theme. It's just called Andy's theme. It's one of my favorite pieces, and it recurs maybe the most often as a motif throughout the film.
1: You know, we think about these movies as uh, obviously they're mysteries. And with this one, we really wanted it to be fun. But I think the, the the thing that I realized is if we don't care about Andy as our main character, the whole movie falls apart. Right. So um, so for her theme, it was, you know, and I think very much based off Janelle's portrayal of this character. It's so layered and, you know, she starts the movie as, as a total outsider and a... A mystery by the end of the movie she's very clearly our protagonist so for her theme it was something that needed to be able to kind of keep morphing and to not be too prescriptive you know there wanted to be levels of ominous in there but also beauty and it it needed to be vulnerable yet powerful at the same time. So it was it was something I knew with her theme, we needed something that could, could kind of keep being reinterpreted as we keep learning new things about her character through the whole movie.
0: Yeah, I'm always amazed at how you can take a melody and, and rework just that one little theme in subtle ways and the, the whole mood completely shifts.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I kind of consider myself a very melodic composer and it's what I grew up loving it's you know that 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 style of composing has sort of almost fallen out of vogue in the last couple decades but I love melody first because it's almost like we get to we get to link those motifs with characters and with feelings but then when you have a, a melody like that you can surround it you can reharmonize it you can you can strip it down you can play it on a different instrument you know I, I kind of um I weirdly sort of approach my film scoring like a songwriter I and and that's definitely my background but um, but a lot of the themes that i'm writing i'll i'll just have sketched out lyrics to them cuz i feel like if i can oh, if i can sing it then i have a feeling like that, that that will stand up as a theme to kind of everything that we need to do to it in terms of pulling it apart and recontextualizing it through the whole movie
0: do you remember what it was for for Andy's theme? Was it, this is Andy's theme? <laughs> Andy's exactly, theme. <laughs> exactly. This is, I can't, I will never reveal these lyrics to the <laughs> public there. But uh,
1: yeah, but for me, it's just a super helpful way to, right. to kind of think about it in terms of, um, uh, and also I, I think part of the way that I think about film composing is like, these are, in a way, these are hooks or these are choruses. So you're you're like seeding that in hoping that that grows. And by the end of the movie, when, when we land on that in the same way that a chorus works in a song, we're, we're hopefully tying uh, you know all the emotion that we've we've connected to it throughout the, throughout the whole story.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because when I first heard Andy's theme, I thought it has this really lovely sound that sort of straddles the baroque and romantic periods in a way that I really love. And then you watch the movie, And the very first time we hear the piece, it's right after a cameo from Yo-Yo Ma where he deconstructs a fugue by Bach. And so I wondered if you were playing off of that at all and that layering idea in fugues that he was talking
1: about. Yeah, I mean, that was something that Ryan talked to me about really early on before I had even read the script. And it's very much the way he structured the movie. It's the, the movie... Works almost in a fugue-like way, and there are definitely Easter eggs in there to be discovered. But I started, you know, I kind of started even just my first sketches were were playing around with fugue ideas, and those those didn't really make it into the movie. But it, I, I think, for Andy, she's also very refined, and there's it's. <laughs> I love her. I mean, I feel like I could talk about her character and her performance for an hour, but um, but she has this. This very refined layer, and then obviously towards the end of the movie, she goes completely gonzo. You know, that's when the new string quartet that I wrote for this movie—that's when that happens. But it's kind of backed by a full orchestra, just going bananas. So I just—I love—I love that element of of I guess layering in those very classical elements, but kind of attacking it in a bit of a modern way. Um, and it's obviously, we're still staying in the in the sandbox of a of a traditional orchestra. But when we get to that moment where she where she starts going ballistic, you know, the, the orchestra is definitely performing in a
0: in an untraditional manner. That's the Glass Onion String Quartet in B flat minor, right? Mm-hmm. I love how we're trying to talk around the film <laughs> <Without> <laughs> for, the, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Like, well, it's not, well, she goes bonkers. Let's just, let's yeah, just let's yeah. leave it at that. Um, this Glass Onion String Quartet in B-flat minor, I love the, the interplay and the tension between the strings. You know, it has suspense in it, but there's also a little bit of play in it. And it, mm-hmm. again, it's threading those different needles all in the same cue. Yeah, I should
1: mention that we got to work with the Tippett Quartet again for this film, and and they were the group that performed the string quartet from the first Knives Out movie. But it was really fun kind of coming back a second time for this because I had worked with them. I wrote this specifically for them to play. And it's so fun to do this type of writing in film music, to just have them really digging into the strings. You know, it's like kind of a bow-destroying piece and it's so active, and to me, it really captures the build that's been happening in Janelle's character for the entire movie, and then, and then she finally kind of gets to release, and I, I think it's a very intimate moment which which I think works really well for a string quartet where you can hear all four of the players just kind of shredding their bows but also it we're we're backing them up this time with a 70 piece orchestra and it and it feels kind of cathartic in a way this is this is definitely the climax moment of the movie
0: and my conversation with Nathan Johnson will continue right after this short break going back to when when you were first starting out like with the film brick you were primarily a, a guitarist right isn't that yep. what your main instrument is that still a, a starting point for you or over the years have you shifted more to like keyboard or MIDI or, or what do you yeah
1: do you start? I um yeah when I mean when I did brick I like didn't know what MIDI was so we, we recorded <laughs> that movie with a single microphone and a power book and I just layered everything wow. just on top of each other so yeah. um I have learned what MIDI is. Um, Yeah, I do find, um, I mean, I find I often write on piano now, but one of the things I love is just kind of getting an instrument that I don't really know or understand because I I really feel that thing is true, like whatever instrument you sit down on is gonna dictate, it's like the push and pull, right? it's, it's, It's a physical thing that pushes against you. If it's something you don't know how to play, then, then you, you don't have that muscle memory and you're, you're really kind of following a thread. So um, for the movie Looper, that was made largely with field recordings that were stretched across the keyboard into playable instruments and, um, and sitting down to, to write a piece of music with a treadmill. Um, you just, it, it pushes against you. There's a tension that, that forces you to, to write something that you would never think of if, if you just sat down at a piano or a guitar.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I know a lot of people will write for strings at a, at a piano, and I, that it's so so hard for me to get my head around because if I'm playing a piano, that piano is going to guide me in a certain direction yep. as opposed to if I'm listening to a cello which leads me in a totally different direction. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. Yeah, so with the string quartet, I, I'm writing with samples, but really where it comes alive is when when I get to the studio for a rehearsal with the Tippett Quartet, and um, and they play through it, and we're, we're just honing in on exactly what we want that sound to be like.
0: Let's hear another cut from the record that stood out to me. This one is called Lights Out. One of the things i like about this one is that there are moments where i'm not entirely sure what i'm hearing yeah. you know um i don't know if it's maybe just some unusual percussion techniques or yeah so with lights out you know this was kind of this part of the
1: score where we dip into more of that ambient world um which right. and the, the way that i was thinking about it is how can we create what might be more in the play box of a synthesizer score while not using synthesizers and still right. having the orchestra do it. So so these are um, a lot of the percussion is happening on the string instruments. One of the sounds is a very amplified rubber ball dragging across mm. the head of a drum. There's also these spider-like sounds which is all the string players tapping the wooden parts of their bows on the strings colenio but but mm. not together. So we're we're having them do these kind of cascading runs that are very purposefully not in line with each other. And and that's a that little gesture is something that comes back later on in the movie with, you know, we heard that earlier with the string quartet as well. But that's a really fun thing when you get to sit down with the players and say, show me what you can do with your instrument that might surprise me. Right. Um, so there's, there's a lot of overblown winds in there, and it's, it, yeah, it's just kind of amazing what you can pull out of an orchestra.
0: You mentioned earlier how melody isn't really driving a lot of scores, or as much now, and there, there's been this trend that I've noticed in film and TV scoring in recent years, a move more toward sound design than traditional instrumentation or traditional arranging. You listen to a score like the one for the horror film Smile, or one that came out last year called The Stranger. There's a bit of it in Don't Worry Darling or The Wonder, where again, where you're not really sure what's making the sounds. And I was thinking, you've kind of gone in the opposite direction. The sound design and instrument building, that was something you were doing 10 years ago with Looper. Right. And more recently with the Knives Out films and Nightmare Alley, you've leaned more in traditional orchestration.
1: (laughs) The funny thing is, it's... it's, um, a, it's what I grew up loving, but B, it kind of is what feels new to me. I, you know, I joked about it. Like, I I, I come from this very DIY approach. So with, with Brick, we were recording wine glasses instead of a string section, partly because we just didn't have the money to use a string section and right. partly because I didn't know what samples were. You know, we were using mallets on filing cabinets instead of timpani drums, you know, and then we... Uh, for Looper, obviously, we were very deep into the sound design world, but um, but when we started the Knives Out movies, I was kind of joking with Ryan and saying, you know, that okay, the the big restrictions for this is we're just going to use a giant orchestra at Abbey Road. And, and that was kind of the... You know, the first time that I had gotten the opportunity to do that with, with Ryan. But also, it was sort of like a, opening up a whole new world to me. I mean, after, after Knives Out, I was like, I never, I never want to write a different way. Like, I love working with an orchestra so much. And it was sort of like, oh, th- this, is why, this is why composers do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it must just feel like this vast, endless playground, a 70-piece orchestra is massive yeah
1: and it, it really um, it suits the way that I think I really follow melody lines and and getting the chance to work with an orchestra is is just getting to follow all these various interlocking melody lines and percussive elements and yeah it's it's I feel stupid talking about it because obviously it's like such an amazing thing that composers have worked with for forever but because that wasn't my journey to get here, it just feels sort of like the newest freshest thing for me
0: you imagine working more in this medium but blowing it up somehow like you're kind of leaning into this very traditional classic sound i wonder what if you've thought about what you want to do now that you're getting so much better at these tools and you're exploring this world if that's something you've thought well now i wonder how i can blow this up honestly
1: the way that i always think and this is a great question because it gets to something that i think is really important the way that i think about film scoring really does not start with the music mm. it's always about the story and what is the story dictating so for me it's it you know the way that i choose projects are, are not based on like oh well i get to do a fun score for that it's it's really is the story something that i think is amazing and is the director someone who who I want to work with? And and then I think everything kind of comes from there. You know, obviously working with Ryan, he keeps jumping genres, and so the result of that is each time he writes a new movie, I, I kind of get to dive in with him and just start f- from scratch and say, what what is this going to sound like? You know, his TV show, the new TV show he did for Natasha Lyonne called Poker Face, he like texted me and he was like, what do you think about a banjo score for this? <laughs> and I, I was like, that is not what I thought you were you were going to say. But um, so I bought a banjo and I just started writing. And and to me, um, but to me, that is very much secondary to what story we're trying to tell. And then we start thinking about how can we best bring some musical parallel to that.
0: That's amazing. Now, well, you mentioned banjo, I thought, well, I I guess if you're going to throw yourself into something you've never done or you don't really know, it's like you might as well ha- hand me bagpipes or something. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. No, wow. I mean,
1: the last the last two scores that I've been doing here were very much harpsichord-based and banjo-based, like the, the two instruments with very little dynamics. And my wife Katie is like, hey, can you go into
0: headphones, please? For the, for <laughs> I, mean, I need <laughs> you to put some headphones on there. Yeah, but. exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. There are these very intricate puzzles that play an important role in the story that kind of set the, everything in motion. Let's hear uh, the song that you did for that called The Puzzle Box.
1: Puzzlebox, particularly, I think this really shows the amazing recording engineers that I get to work with, Pete Cobbin and Kirstie Wally, who, who are just legends. But they, you know, I've worked with them now, this is my third movie with them, and they have really crafted their approach to recording the orchestra around my style of writing. I think one of the big inspirations for these movies was Bernard Herrmann's scores, and Part of that is you feel like you can hear every player and every section, and it's it's very much not a wall of sound. It's it's all these interlocking parts. And when I was talking with Pete and Kirsty about this, they were saying it's it's almost like I'm approaching this like the quartet, but for the orchestra. So it's very much popcorn elements and interlocking lines from the different sections. So. I just feel so fortunate to, to get to work with Pete and Kirsty because they're changing their whole approach to how they record an orchestra when we work together so that we really get all of that definition. We really get all of that precision and we can do these lines that aren't continuous but kind of just play a partial moment and then hop over to a different
0: section. And um, if they're not recorded well, that all falls apart. I actually thought of Bernard Herrmann off and on while listening to this, and it was because the uh, the way the orchestra was recorded. It's like very closely mic'd or yeah. something. I'm not sure what the technique is, but where you hear almost the texture of every individual string and bow.
1: Yeah, and that's something, I mean... I guess on a meta level, that's something that I just generally love about music. I I, I think that my favorite thing about music is imperfection. So when I do these scores, I'm very much here for hearing the breathing in the winds, hearing the scratch. In the strings, even down to the fact that when I'm scoring these, I'm very much scoring them to picture, but I'm often not on a grid. So I'll be I'll be just pulling off of the grid, so we can do these these drastic retardandos and and really very much dancing in, in a human way with the performances. And that is something that I've just always grown up loving in music. You know, my favorite singers have voices that wouldn't be considered perfect voices. But to me, I think that's like the humanity that we grab onto. And I, I love trying to, uh, trying to evoke that with an orchestra because you have amazing adept players but it just feels very rewarding for me to not gloss it out but to really leave all of all of those little imperfections for our ears to grab onto in in the performances
0: composer nathan johnson talking about his score for the film glass onion a knives out mystery it's streaming now on netflix and for npr music and all songs considered i'm robin hilton